Free Your Inner Guru is a listener-supported show. Supporting the podcast is also designed to support you by keeping the episodes free of ads and creating a community of conscious leaders who want to have big conversations about important ideas and have a much-needed impact in our uncertain world. I'll be launching our Free Your Inner Guru Patreon community in the fall with live monthly webinars and member-only content. For more information, visit patreon.com forward slash freeyourinnerguru. If you're new to the show or not ready or able to become a supporting patron, there are other ways to support the show by sharing the podcast with your friends, commenting back on the episode page, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. It's all a little bit here and there, but it adds up. And for that, I am very grateful for your time, energy, and attention. Now on to this week's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. This podcast is a place where we have big conversations about leadership, personal growth, entrepreneurship, self-help, life's journeys, and how we become wiser and more conscious human beings. Our guest today, Sonia Cote, is an actress, author, singer, and speaker who shares her powerful journey to fully embrace her body in her new book, I'm Not Naked Anymore, Memoirs of a Contemporary Jezebel. A survivor of childhood sexual abuse, the stories of Sonia's life center around creative self-expression and fully owning her body while having fun in the process. After my first edit of our conversation, I became curious, as I do, about why Sonia refers to herself as a contemporary Jezebel, and I hadn't asked during the interview. So I wrote to Sonia, and this is the story that she sent back to me in email, and I thought instead of condensing it, that I would share it with you before jumping into the conversation. So in Sonia's words, when I was 15 and stuck in a small town, the only thing that I could do for excitement was attend weekly Bible studies that ended in youth group activities. One of those lessons was on this woman named Jezebel from the First Testament, King Ahab's arranged marriage wife. I fell in love with her as much for what was not said about her as what was. They clearly cut out most of her story and only included the nasty parts where she took over her husband's politics. When her popularity with her people fell, those seeking to take over her husband's office attacked the only thing that they could do with a strong woman like that her sexuality. It seems that was the best they could come up with for an insult about her. It was later added on that she cavorted under full moon ceremonies having wild orgies. This is what was said about pagans and Wiccans. In my mind, she was a strong woman said to be a redhead, a Phoenician queen, allowed to keep her pagan faith, and when her executioner came up for her, she sat in her tower and applied her makeup and brushed out her long hair, making herself beautiful so that she could face death in her most regal state. The expression thrown to the dogs comes from her death, where she was thrown from her tower and her own dogs ate her body, leaving only her hands and feet and head. I think she's a hero. If I had that much courage and tenacity, vision and follow through, she represents a strong, independent, incredible woman with admirable qualities. 
It is only because of Christianity largely erasing or rewriting history of women that she is misunderstood and maligned. It's amazing what happens when you ask a person a question, isn't it? I would like to put forward an argument that um, Sonia Cote makes for a very strong, independent, tenacious woman. Enjoy the rest of the episode with Sonia and I. Sonia, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. It's so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Laura. It's great to see you again. So let's jump in with um, talking about a little bit about your story. You've written a book called I'm Not Naked Anymore, and, uh, or I'm Not Naked and in parentheses anymore. And, uh, and let's dive into your story and take the conversation from there because I know we've got, a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of possibilities that we can jump off of. Well, I wrote the book, uh, the subtitle of which is called uh, Memoirs of a Contemporary Jezebel. Jezebel being my former stripping name. I wrote the book uh, for a number of reasons, most notably because it was time that I got it all out. Um, It starts with, uh, it was post Me Too when I decided to rehash the entire book and publish it finally. And it started with my sexual abuse as a child which in my opinion, while it's a source of strength for me now, it was a great uh, impediment to my beginning of my life, even right up until probably my early 30s. I always say, you know, when I do these speaking things or when I'm talking to women who share their stories, I said, isn't it funny that we, we spend the first 25 years of our life getting over the first few as, as victims, you know? And then, uh, but I wanted it to be a good story. Um, first of all, airing your laundry always feels great, especially when you've been encouraged to keep it quiet. Uh, my mother was not um, particularly supportive of me telling this story. She had her own issues around it and her own inability to take responsibility for it in certain ways. And that was probably uh, very heavy for her and, of course, very difficult for me. So we each had our wars going on. So that was the first part of the story. And what it explains or shows, it doesn't explain, it shows you because it's really quite, it's prose, it's short stories. It's not, you know, and then I, these are just little chunks and little great vignettes of my life that show you um, that as I progressed through the trauma and made spectacular mistakes, um, that I was able to overcome those and actually use that as a great source of strength. I mean, if I survived all kinds of stuff like that, then damn, you know, I can survive a lot and thrive uh, in the same way with the same amount of strength and energy, which I have. So now as a woman approaching my mid fifties, I have a very different view of it. I have an overview of it. Of course, I have a view of it as a mother having raised a daughter, um, and I have a view of it as a, as, a, as a sister to my women, friends and colleagues and, and people I you know, admire and I'm here for. And I, I felt a great need to be of service in that way uh, when writing this book. I, and I wanted it to be entertaining because, quite frankly, when you take somebody like me who's got this you know, huge personality and, and you put on uh, this... A, early abuse and and you put it in a spotlight literally because I was also a singer and actress from the time I was a child. Uh, You know, 
my, everything that I'm doing is in the spotlight. Everything is huge and dramatic and, you know, with a lot of flair and stuff, which makes for fantastic highs, but some incredibly difficult lows too. So all that to say, it was just like this crazy ride. And I'm frankly surprised I'm, I'm alive. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy to report that I'm thriving <laughs> and I wanted it to be a helpful story. You know, they get at the end and they're like, Oh my gosh, she made it. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and yeah, I did make it. A lot of us made it. When we hear that expression, sexual abuse survivor, I get very sometimes fed up with hearing about it. Oh, I survived this. She's a survivor. She's a survivor. of, And you just kind of forget not everybody survives. That's the key. And I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm smart. I'm, you know, I had some great angels and, and there was all kinds of reasons why I'm still standing here. But yeah, survivor is a really important word. We don't, we shouldn't forget why that's important to use that word. You, your life seems very, um, like one of the things that I talk a lot about is um, like, creative self-expression and, and yeah. self-expression. What do you think it is uh, about you that, like, was it always easy for you to be in the spotlight or the public eye? Was it something that you wanted or is it something that came to you? Um, there's probably many different forms of performers out there. Uh, and there's people that have come at it from very, very many different ways. For me, I always felt like I was loud and brassy right from the start. And uh, it was almost like I didn't have much of a choice. Um, I used to say to people, God, you know, I'd really, I'd, I'd love to come back and be happy being like a bricklayer or a librarian or somebody who's very happy just being that regular self because performing it's almost like you have this need to perform and you're loud and brassy and everything so you perform and then you got to keep it up and then you got to outdo it and then you get you know and it's like this level of and then you're in it and you're now labeled as that and you know you'll never be happy with being more regular again and yet you know sometimes being a regular conventional person would probably have been the best medicine for you at the time so it's like this weird sort of you know and I believe there's born performers and I believe there's made performers and I think I'm a born performer um you know there's that whole it factor that people talk about you know and and some people have that and it's not always a good thing. There were days where I would have loved to have walked into a room and been ignored. And then there were days where I worked damn hard to make sure I wasn't ignored, you know? So it's like a bit of a, who am I going to be today? Right. And you start believing your own press too, after a while, especially in the days when I was up and coming as the next big singer or, you know, I got some great roles and people thought, oh my God, she's going to be a star. And, you know, and then um, now uh, from where I am now, having not done that, having not hit that pinnacle um, and yet being super happy with who I am, you know, that matters more, of course, but it's a different, I mean, we know this as older women, older, like older than 30, that you need that 
that length of time to get the overview to finally be happy with even your mistakes, right? Oh, right. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. And to, you know, to, to look back and see that, oh, there was a path there the whole time. It just was, I, I just didn't have that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And even if people were telling you about that, like, look at it from this side. Sometimes you just couldn't see it. And so you were on this bent path all on your own doing. And, you know, and as a brassy kind of loud person, you know, like I said, my mistakes were pretty spectacular. And I mean, there's, you know, there's chapters. I don't know if you've read the whole thing, but there's, you know, I was nearly sold in Trinidad um, as, as a sex slave. And I mean, like, you know, you don't, it's not a casual conversation. Oh, I was nearly sold as a sex slave in Trinidad. You know, I mean, yeah, I really was. <laughs> it was, you know, and I, I so I, I put myself in that situation, even though there were red flags and I ignored them. And here I am, you know, I come from a relatively well-educated family. And, you know, and so how do you end up getting mixed up with a bunch of strippers that are really sold as sex slaves, right? So yeah, you ignore these things and then you see, yeah, you should have gone right, but you went left. And and after a while you go, oh, well, you know, it was a great, great ride. <laughs> well, the last time that we spoke, we met about a year and a half ago. And the last time that we spoke, we were talking a lot about um, the, your story coming to light just in, after all of the events that catalyzed the Me Too movement. Oh, yes. And you were feeling very, um, optimistic in a way at, at how women were grabbing their voice and, and, and your book and your story seem very right for that time. What's looking back on it now, a couple of years later, what's your perspective on, on the sharing of stories and, and the, the difference that it's making in the world? Well, I go several places when you, when you ask me that I go to the place of my daughter who now 18, you know, she was 16 at the time that all this stuff was tumbling down. These empires were crumbling. Um, the Weinstein empire in particular. And of course it was a great interest to me because I know people who were, I know one in particular who was a victim of Weinstein's uh, in the acting world. And I know uh, lots of people in our industry and I was called upon to help rewrite these harassment policies that ACTRA, our actors union has, and subsequent to that, 16 other unions bounced in and, and tried to amalgamate them as best they could with their own stuff. Fantastic. That was wonderful. My daughter's views as she crystallized into an adult are also colored by this, where it's almost like a non-conversation for her. You know, like you, you mentioned harassment. She goes, yeah, whatever. You know, like it's not even on her radar, which I think is not much on her radar, I should say. I think it's, that's a win. That's a great win. You know, she knows when to speak up. She wouldn't have any hesitation. Whereas I had let a lot of abuse happen out of fear of speaking out. Um, so that, that's a great plus. Um, the rules for women are changing in our industry. Uh, on television, we're seeing older um, women in power. Uh, sadly, not yet on Canadian television as much, but it's coming. But, uh, and in terms of conversations with my friends and, and you and I even, we talked about it a lot going, oh my God, thank God, you know, now 
we can talk about these things and people aren't going to look at us like, oh, who cares? Or, you know, it's, it's topic that was top of mind on the news for so long. But um, I'm finding it still a limited conversation or misunderstood or simply not interesting enough to have with the men <laughs> in my life. Um, or the men in business that are in a potential position to rewrite some history here. They don't seem to be as enthusiastic to jump on the bandwagon or continue it, I should say, continue the journey with it. Um, I wish I could give you some concrete examples off the top of my head. Certainly my personal relationship with my, my partner is an example of that. He's not being necessarily insensitive. He's just completely out of the loop. He has no idea how to support it. He has no idea what might be needed at a certain time from him to me as a woman when I get slighted in that way or when my daughter gets put down because she's a chick. And, you know, there's still that sort of cluelessness about it. And I'm finding in the outside world, there's not a lot of support for, for men to, to ask these questions. How do I support the women in my life? How do I have these hard conversations? Do I even bring them up? You know, so there's a huge gap, I think, still, sadly, um, between the sexes and how we're discussing it. Do you feel like it's because either we've become desensitized um, or that it's something that it's, it's up to the, to the women to, to help other women heal? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think they always feel maybe it's a woman's job to support each other because they kind of get each other. Um, and that's fair to a great degree. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know if I said it in the talk that you saw me give where I said that if we're looking for men to be our best friends, our partners to be our best friends, then we're always going to be disappointed because as much as we want to try and bridge that gap, there will always be a giant gap there. And I think men are in our lives for very different reasons, not always necessarily to be our best buddy. <laughs> but um, so I, I have that view on the one hand, but on the other hand, it would be nice if, if they were somehow a little more clued in to what we need at certain times. I'm not even sure how to elicit that. Um, I think they do shy away from these conversations with us because they're afraid of offending. And I, pro I think there's probably a little bit of guilt there too. I don't know if you find that in your relationship as well, where your guy's walking around feeling kind of bad when some guy does something stupid because, or, you know, a typical guy thing, right? Like a, a bad look or an insensitive comment or something. And, yeah, it's we've had uh, we've had conversations around um, the difference between blame and responsibility on that, where you know, like of course he's not to blame for something that another guy did or previous generations um, have done, but there's like there's societal responsibility for for you know men to behave well and to understand boundaries and there's, but also I think the, on the other side of it, there's, there's a societal responsibility for women to have boundaries and to speak up and use their voice. Yes. And, right. Like it's this, there's um, the, the yin and yang of it that we all, 
that we all share. I'm not sure if I'm using that metaphor correctly, but you know, there's a time and I struggle with this, especially when it comes to um, say sharing my own story. I will go through long periods of like, well, what difference would it make? Or does anybody care? And, uh, and, you know, and so, and then that keeps me quiet and, mm. you know, and, and so, but I'm, I'm doing that to myself. I have to ultimately yeah. take responsibility for that because I think at the end of the day, you know, I had a, a really strong conversation with a writer's group that I'm a part of. So I wrote up a story that um, actually had to do with a, a situation where I was, I'm not quite sure whether to use the term assaulted or abused, but, but by a, a young man. And I went quiet on that forever. My best friend um, and I were out for drinks and it just so happened to be um, right at the time, the very day that, um, that Christine Blasey Ford was on the stand. Um, so yeah. we were, we were out downtown having, um, some wine together and I was finding that I was very, very triggered that day in a way that I had not expected. Yeah. And then of course, all of these memories come up and then I shared that with her and she looked at me, we've known each other over 25 years. And then she was just like, how did I not know this about you? And I was like, well, what difference would it have made? So I turned around and I wrote because I was really charged up when I came home and I, I didn't want <laughs> now, you know, now that day then was not the time for me to be taking it out on someone, another human being, which would have been my husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> clearly <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I wrote it up and I finally just very recently brought it to my writing group and we was you know we had a conversation um about does it like what is the point of sharing these stories and and there so it's two men two women they just looked at me and they're like the sharing is the point it's not right. It's yeah. not how it's received. It's not what happens. It's not what other people think. Yeah. It's the process of oh, yeah. sharing and continually claiming your voice. Yeah. I felt like 10 tons lighter after writing my book. I, I didn't, I mean, it, the process of it, you're right. When you, when you wrote that, probably you went, oh, okay, I can now take this off of here and go and dump it over there. And, you know, yeah, it is writing of it, it is the processing of it that, that needs to be done. Watching someone else process it is just as important, you know? Like you telling me this story, I'm sitting here nodding going, yeah, I totally, I have exactly those moments in my life too. But you saying, I have a, a responsibility in society to, well, yeah, I, that reminds me. Yeah, shit. So do I, you know, yeah. <laughs> those moments where we want to get complacent. Right. I think that's massively important, massively important. Yeah. I, I think I told you too, um, for me, uh, this is, this is going to be a really heavy, uh, thing to say, but I do believe, uh, I think I told you my mother died about a year and a half ago and she died, uh, three weeks before the book was due to be published. And she was not speaking to me at the time that she died because my book was going to be published. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So I know that 
my mother, I think she passed away with a very heavy heart about what I was about to reveal. Um, ironically, in the book, I'm not blaming her. I go into the last chapter is called Maiden Mother Crone. Mm. Three stages of a woman's life. And I talk about, of course, me and my mother and her mother and how it gets passed down. And these things that we don't talk about have a life of their own and they grow into some pretty scary monsters. And, you know, if you don't have the ability to share these things, air them, uh, talk them out, work them out, get validation for them. Uh, even if you have acted improperly as a result of them, because it's all about personal growth, then how are you ever to proceed in life and move forward? And, you know, these things are vital. So I, I had a, a not so good relationship with my mother, not because she wasn't a fantastic woman, she was, but because she had an inability to go there at all. That's what our impediment was. If she had had the ability to be um, freer in her thinking, uh, free of shame, free of uh, guilt um, for not protecting me, and, and, and an accountability for her addiction. She was addicted to Valium uh, when I was growing up. Um, I would have been like, great, okay, I love you anyway. Of course I love my mother. But she was so zipped about it throughout our whole relationship and put a lot of that shame on me and that guilt on me. And I became the scapegoat for a lot of our family's problems because loud and brassy, full of issues, right? You're going to act out. Right or wrong, I'm sure I've so screwed up with my daughter in so many ways. I did not least screw up that way. I was determined not to have that um, inability to share and an inability to, to be accountable for my mistakes. Um, sharing and airing our stuff, I think, is the most vital part of being on this planet. This is what we're here for is to connect, right? Yeah, I agree. And I was, I was thinking as, as I was listening to you, that's a part of, you know, the, the journey that I went on, say, starting, I guess, 11 or 12 years ago, um, culminating in the Sedona Sweat Lodge, you know, mm -hmm. prior to that, the, the year and a half prior to that was a discovery, uh, you know, a long process of really claiming my voice, claiming my stories, looking at what my beliefs were. And, mm -hmm. you know, nobody had, um, you know, over the, over the years, I had seen a number of say therapists and counselors because I struggled with, you know, what I can only call depression. I never had a medical diagnosis for it, but, right. um, but I did take antidepressants for a number of years and, and I was wanting to get rid of of that, um, starting to get called to, I wouldn't say like a higher purpose, but to a different understanding of what living was going to, was going to be like. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, and to me, that's the value of, of sort of the, either the self-help journey or the awakening journey. There's like a lot of big words used around at the end. Like, like but to me, that's, owning your stuff and taking responsibility for 
your role in it, but then also from that place, realizing the power of it, right? Like your mom was disempowered by it because she couldn't face it, but what, but it's your journey to face it and then take it to the next level. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I, I might not have gotten it right. I don't know with my daughter. Right. Um, but I had to try, I had to try. That was my issue. I, I'm sure she lived out what she had to try here. So there, there has to be forgiveness for her as well too, right? It's not all on her. And I, I have friends who have addictions and they are, you know, my God, I, I'm not saddled with that. That's not my issue around this lifetime for me. But addictions are some of the most horrific things that people can get saddled with. So they are not even in this life a lot of the time when they're out of it. You know? mm. So I, I had to take a look at that and, uh, and, and fold that in there too. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, you're never going to get it all right, you know. But if we can talk about stuff, if we can share it, you know, back to the issues with our guys who don't seem to be uh, turning on the light as much as we'd like with regard to all this Me Too stuff, understanding the sensitivity. It took years for us to get here, years for us to get our issues aired, years for us to have our issues take the form that they have right now, years for us to figure out if we're going to take any kind of responsibility and like you with your podcast, give back, me with my book and my speaking, give back. All of that stuff didn't just happen overnight. It happened with this burning desire to take our responsibilities to the next level. And I know we're, I'm, I'm fucking up everywhere. <laughs> you know, I, I know it. I know I am. But I'm okay with that too. That's a big part of it. I'm okay with that. Whereas before, when you are stuck, and I've been stuck, and you're messing up, you're not so, you're not so quick to admit that. That's a hard thing to give up. So admitting my mistakes and moving forward anyway and accepting my flaws and you know all that stuff, we got to talk about it. Your flaws are okay because I got the same kind of flaws and I get it. And then my girlfriend, you know what I mean? On and on it goes. We're here to connect. That's yeah. it. And that, it's, I think that humanizes us all. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Instead of uh, instead of being uh, isolated or or attempting to um, deal with it as a deal with life in a silo. Yeah. Um, And also, you know, I'm thinking about what it's like to live these days where, you know, you have this wonderful, wonderful wave of the popularity of of podcasting. Right. Which, you know, and it's it's surprising in the sense that it's, it's audio first, right? Like this will be released in audio format across all of the different platforms and then the video on, on YouTube, but by and large, it'll be 99.9% consumed in, in audio. People want to hear stories and, and want to, you know, and, and maybe it's got also to do with just the shit show that is, you know, the, the political landscape and, the social landscape where there's a lot of dehumanizing things going on and we need the contrast. And on the one hand that was, my daughter had this amazing paper. She graduated from high school and she did this paper on, what did she call it? She said something like um, dissecting 
the heroes out there. Like we're in the age of, of um, we don't really believe in heroes anymore. We've watched the, the fall of the church heroes that we had because of all the sexual abuse issues that are now coming to light. Uh, like you said, the politics is just like, I don't, I can't even watch it anymore. I'm just, I can't, I cannot turn on the news. I can't, I just, <laughs> I can't stand it. Uh, and what's happening south of us is even scarier. That's like, we're just taking giant steps backwards in, in humanity, as far as I'm concerned down there. And, and up here, we're still sort of apologizing for it and doing nothing. Um, you know, everywhere you look, teachers are falling and religious leaders are falling and politics are no longer being believed in. Everybody's got a, a sham show and no wonder why we're listening to podcasts of wise people and, you know, speakers that we never thought would have hit a podium 10 years ago are now so popular because we need those idols. We need those examples of how to live better lives. We don't have them anymore in the arenas that we were used to. Yeah, the, in like the traditional institutions, right. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so, sad, but it's necessary. I think it's necessary for us to create anything new as a society. Aren't we? To, aren't, yeah. Isn't it due? Yeah. I think so. I was out for dinner yesterday with my mom. It was her, her 79th birthday. We took her out for dinner and mm. she was saying, um, Oh gosh, I hope I'm going to remember because it was just there. I've lost it. I'll come back around to if it comes. She was talking about the old oh. day, how she, yeah. No, she said, um, did you ever, because we were talking, you know, she's an avid, voracious consumer of the news and she's on right. websites commenting and she's. Oh, and, really? Eh? That's oh, great. <laughs> she's very, she's very engaged. And, Good. uh, and she said, did you, did you ever, ever think it would come down like that everything that's happening now yeah. would happen? And I was like, no, mom, I honest to God oh, thought God. that our generation was going to have a pass. Right? Oh, you did. You did. I did. I never, I didn't think it consciously, but I didn't ever think that we would, you know, mm-hmm. yes, there have been wars, but, but, you know, my brothers have not gone to war. You know, right. my, my parents are, were just born, you know, towards the tail end of world war two. So, you know, so they didn't go to war right. and, and just having to consider the issues that, that we have to consider today whether it's as a woman, whether it's considering immigration, um, you know, the repealing of or the legalizing uh, abortion and all these, all these things, I honestly thought that, you know, it, the blinders were on. Yeah, yeah. Well, how do you get through life without at least a little bit of wishful thinking, right? Um, <laughs> you have to. But at the same time, it's interesting you say that because um, I've been with my partner for probably 11 years now. And one of the first things he ever said to me, when we were having this similar conversation. He said, he said, no, he said, I'm surprised we haven't had uh, a world war yet in our lifetime. And uh, he said, we're due. Statistically speaking, we're due. And I went, oh my God. <laughs> I was, oh my God. And but from where I sat, I thought, the thing that we would go through is the collapse of uh, the environment, which is what we are also going through. Um, 
so no, I never thought we had a past necessarily, but it's interesting you say that. You're a little younger than me, but you, you know, you, yeah, like in a way we have it made, you know, post technology and we've got all kinds of ways of communicating around the world and isn't this wonderful, but we still don't have, um, I think we still don't have the, the, the self-respect and the respect for the planet that we need overall. Um, we're still squabbling about skin color and what sex we're born. Uh, and, and there's more than two of them, you know, and there's trans and, and every other thing now. And thank Christ we're talking about it. But at the end of the day, my statement still is as important as it is. Why do we care so much about this? Why do we have to care so much about it? For God's sake, you're on a planet. We're one of several planets out there that has a population. We'd be stupid to think that we're the only populated planet out there. And we're squabbling over skin color and what preference we have in a partner or in our bodies or in our, who cares? (laughs) Well, it seems like a systemic distraction. Yeah, yeah, it is. They're tiny little, they're tiny little issues to me that blow up into these giant, you know, life-defining causes for certain people, and it still blows my mind. Yeah, maybe I live in a utopia. Can't we all just get along? But you know what? Can't we all just get along? I don't understand why we have this issue still. We should be ready as a species. We're so intelligent in so many ways to be catapulting from this planet and doing many massive and wonderful things and having the freedom that we have, you know, being spread to the rest of the planet. We know we can feed the whole planet. We can feed the whole planet from one of our richest countries. We could do it tomorrow if we want. We don't need to be stealing each other's oil. We don't need to even have oil anymore. We have technology to have all kinds of stuff that's been quietened now for a hundred years because the oil companies wanted to make money. We have ways of heating our houses without that stuff and running cars without that stuff. We have all of this, but we're still thinking so small. And so it's kind of, you know, on the brighter side, (laughs) I do feel that, that we are moving closer towards more real conversations. If my life is any reflection and my friends' lives is any reflection and podcasts and YouTube and the ability to broadcast your thoughts out there or any reflection as to where we are, is that we have finally found a way to communicate what is actually important as a human being. And again, I come back to that word connection. I'm all about that word connection. I just did new moon missions, by the way. Uh, I do them every month. And one of the biggest things for me was I would like to connect with more like-minded people. Mm. Activity that's happening right now with regard to the news and the environment and all that stuff, because I'm deeply rooted in this stuff to some degree, especially the environmental stuff. As a vegan, you can't escape it because you're constantly having the conversation about why you can't have a hot dog with a friend, right? So you know, I wanted to have more connections with like-minded people and we have the ability to do that. And I think that's brilliant. What do you, um, what do you find is the benefit of consciously engaging with people who, who are like-minded? Uh, hope. Get a lot of hopeful feelings out of that. I mean, when you're stuck, um, in, an, an environment where you don't have necessarily the support of people around you for the big causes that you're undertaking. I mean, what you eat is fairly important. And as I mentioned, as a vegan, you know, this whole joke, how do you know there's a vegan in the room? Cause they'll tell you, well, 
sadly, all of our social interactions revolve around food and, um, or most of them, you know, revolve around food. And so I have a pretty big, important platform that I don't eat animal products. And, and my daughter turned me on to this. And after several months of researching it and several months of figuring out how I can live this way, I now get it. So when I hang around people who are not like-minded, it's very difficult for me to feel hopeful that we're all going to the same place. Whereas if I got a tribe that I get, you know, common stuff with, and we can talk about it and go, Oh yeah, don't you hate it when, or didn't you find that, you know, we, if we're sharing, then it feels like I've got backup, you know, like I'm not just in this alone. Uh, but that's just one of the many platforms. You know, the other one is fitness. Like you, you know, you're you're a fitness crazy person as well. So, talking to couch potatoes wouldn't really be our thing twenty four seven. Even though we'd love to be with people of all walks of life, finding your tribe is really important. You know, to keep what you feel is hopeful for your life. Yeah, connect connected and and energized. Yeah, right? yeah. because I guess we don't nobody changes the world by hanging around with people who are just like them because you have to go out and deal, but, but you also have to know that you're not alone because that, that can, that can be very lead to a sense of disconnection and then disconnection leads to, you know, feelings of, of hopelessness and and ultimately depression. Yeah. Like, well, what's the point? You know, what's the point? Right. We really are who we hang out with. We really are. You yeah, hundred percent. You've been on a huge fitness journey recently. I'd love to talk. I'd love for the listeners. She just yeah. rolled her eyes, shook her head, grabbed for some water. Oh God! Yeah, I know. So, so you're going into competition coming up very shortly. What yeah. possessed you? And. Uh, <laughs> and and what what has that you know it your body has been your, our bodies are all of our vehicles but your body has been a huge part of your journey yes all the way through from from being abused for having your body from being a stripper which is showing your body and yeah. um and using your body to make money to acting, which in, involves a lot more than just the body, but um, and now fitness competition, and you've already referenced your age. You said you're approaching or in your mid fifties. I'm 54. now. You've also you're. I'm fifty four. You're fifty four, yeah. and just vegan. I'm so, <laughs> so as someone who's not embraced the vegan journey, my mind is, oh, okay, fitness competition, protein, vegan. Like, yeah. what is going on? Tell us. Tell us. Give us this story, which is post book. Yeah, it is post. I mean, it's probably going to be worthy of a book in itself. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I I express myself through my body. That is, um, once I kind of got that about myself, I kind of realized, oh, it's not just about vanity. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is absolutely, and vanity is a great motivator, but it's not only that. And yes, it's been wonderful to reclaim so much of myself. And recently, uh, recently, as in the last two and a half years, I, I went through some real physical challenges. And I think I had, I think I have, after several tests and lots of experts weighed in and nobody could figure it out, I think I had leaky gut. 
and I had massive bouts of vertigo, drop attacks of uh, vomiting and seizures and a few ambulance rides and some really weirdo symptoms. I was unable to walk properly sometimes or unable to fully wake up sometimes. Or I had massive intestinal issues all throughout. And I was, I was kind of afraid, actually. I, I didn't know if I had a terminal disease or not. Um, and it's not me, like me to kind of worry about that stuff. I actually ignore a lot of my stuff whenever I'm sick. I just kind of press on and, you know, it's that kind of personality. But this was, this just leveled me. And combined with that, I believe these issues were rearing up when my mother was dying because there was a lot of spiritual stuff to clear there. And she was uh, had a series of strokes um, and some pretty major operations from which she was not healing. And again, our relationship was very strained. And I was I'm one of three children. I'm the only girl, so I was of course doing the providing thing. I was cooking good food for her because if you've ever seen what they serve in a hospital, nobody can heal from that. Um, so I was showing up with some great stuff, and she was refusing my help which was really interesting. So I think those things combined. And then when she passed away and the book came out and I felt so much lighter, I was happy with the way I conducted myself with my mother at the end, even though she had a hard time with me, I did not have a hard time with her. I made sure to be there as much as I could Mm -hmm. and, and do what I had to do to feel like I didn't, I didn't snub her in any way. I didn't get weird. I didn't, it was not about me at the end. It was about her. And I was, I was happy. I was able to do that. But once she was gone, first of all, I was relieved. She was no longer in pain. That was really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I felt a very big lightness come over me. And now I thought, okay, I've told my story now. I can move on with my stuff. I did what I had to do. I don't feel guilt. And, I began to completely overhaul my diet in combination with my daughter talking to me about veganism. It all happened within like a few months of each other. Uh, I started watching these documentaries on where our food comes from and, and what we're doing to eat. Um, and it, it, uh, it, I couldn't continue. <laughs> I couldn't continue what I'd been doing before. So typical me, instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to overhaul my diet and move on with my life. No, I'm going to actually do a bikini fitness competition (laughs) in in a year. It has to be done in public. It has to be done huge. It has to be done in public. And like, you know, with the most amount of ridiculousness and pompous, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and, and And I have fun with it, right? So I thought, okay, I'll do this. But I'll tell you something. I am humbled by this journey because I thought I would have done this show like a couple months ago. I was not ready. It has taken me this long to get to this level and I may still not be able to be ready only because now I'm shooting a a show which will interrupt my 24th of August deadline for Burlington, which is where I, I want to do the show. I may not be able to because I'll be on set for 16 hours a day. And, you know, I, I may not be able to continue my gym and my food and all that stuff as I want it to be perfect enough for the show. But, um, but regardless, I'm doing a show at the end of the year, I, you know, before the end of the year, 
if it kills me, I'm doing this show. And it has taught me so much, um, not only about nutrition, but how to listen to the most uh, subtle of nuances in my body, to Mm -hmm. how veganism made me feel lighter already. And um, paying attention and being diligent to every single thing I put in my mouth is a discipline. I have a, a huge respect for these athletes. They're not called bikini athletes for nothing. They may look great and you might look at them going, man, the big tan, the sparkly bikini, who cares? I'll tell you, it takes a lot to get there. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline. That discipline tends to trickle out into the rest of your life too. So my year of doing this has me on point with so many things in my life. Um, And as an actor watching this, uh, this body of mine change and having it be on camera, I am now getting auditions and jobs that were never offered to me before. They are roles that are far more powerful or have bigger voices or are more interesting and nuanced than they ever were before. So it's already hard at my age as an actor to be continuing to work. There's not a lot of work for women. Uh, It's coming. There's more of it, but not, not as much as when I was 30, right? So I, I'm giving myself a leg up too in this department of my career, but uh, yeah, it's been massively humbling. So <laughs> I'll, I'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll send you pictures, but I mean, I'll tell you, 24th of August is three weeks away, and eight of those days are going to be on set. So, oh my God, I don't know so, how, I'm doing it, but I'll do it. Yeah. So do you? And this is. I love how you brought this up, and you said about the discipline going out, trickling out to the other parts of your life. One of the things um, that I use in my coaching is, is environmental design. And that's the core of it. You know, it's like pick an environment and now let's, let's play and, you know, and experiment. And it's inevitable that, you know, we're all in interconnected within ourselves. So when you're being disciplined in the body, you shift the mind when you, and vice versa or the physical environment. So having that go over to your acting environment, how, how will you set up your acting environment to serve you? Like, do you have any influence on that or is it something that is out of your control? Uh, it is to a great degree in my control insofar as my conversations with my agents um, go. I have to make sure that I'm on I'm top of their mind all the time. You know, they have a roster of people and they, they call upon me for my category. It's a smaller category, and uh, but I don't ever let them forget me. And I, I went to them about, I guess, 11 months ago now, and I said, this is what I'm doing. Like every year I have a, a big goal, you know, last year was the book and, and the speaking stuff. And, and so I just keep building, you know, so now I'm a speaker that happens to be in really good shape. That's getting good acting roles. You know, like I just keep adding to the roster, but um, I kept them abreast of the situation by popping in, in person, not just on the phone by showing up. And every time I did, I was, you know, not only 10 pounds lighter and tighter and, you know, better, suited to cameras, certainly, um, then they were happy to see that. As a postmenopausal woman, um, and that may be actually a book in itself that I'm tempted to write, because I'll tell you something, as a woman who's always been connected to her physicality, 
menopause was like swimming underwater in the dark. I had no idea what my body was going to do next. I, I packed on the pounds without even meaning to, and they just wouldn't move. And nothing that I was doing before worked. Nothing that I had done in my life prior to that to get rid of that worked. So I was, again, humbled by my body telling me I'm in a new phase, you know? Mm. So, well, and I loved my curvy body, by the way. I mean, if I hadn't been an actor, I probably might not have been moved so much to change it all that much anyway, um, initially, because I kind of liked it. It was, it was bouncier. It was rounder. It was nicer, you know, and I really dug it in, in so many ways. I've been in different bodies all my life, you know, pregnant, sick, not pregnant, you know, anorexic model in my twenties, you know, all that stuff. But this, nothing prepared me for the, the blind, the being blindsided by menopause and then coming out of that going, holy shit, like, how do I, how do I work with this? Like, you know, so everything just kind of culminated into this moment of going, I got to reinvent myself. I was not ready for the amount of work that that entailed. I mm-hmm. did not think it was going to be that much, but it was. And, I, and I'm almost on the other side now. I'm probably about 38 pounds lighter. I'm certainly smaller and tighter. But all that aside, the looks aside, it's how I feel. And how I feel is strong and lithe and I'll tell you, I break into a run across the street now, effortlessly. I'm breathing better. I'm sleeping better. I'm standing straighter. There's nothing that aches or hurts anymore. And that is the gold prize to me. And the competition is just something that inspired, <laughs> you know, inspired the... The, the competition, al- yeah. Aligned yeah. action. So do you attribute these changes to like the the lack of pain, the, the energy? Do you attribute it to the veganism or do you attribute it to the the I'm assuming heavy lifting? I've seen I've seen photos yeah. on Facebook, so I know I know you're lifting heavy. Um yeah. what do you what do you attribute this lightness and ease, or is it the combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I got hit by a car four and a half, five years ago, and I had a lot of issues from that too. So again, it was like, great, you know, just hitting menopause and then I get crunched by a car. Um, so I was immobile for quite a while, but I, um, I think, uh, I think it's a combination. I, I initially, when I first went vegan all the way, I just dropped pounds instantly, um, and felt better. I think the, and I was a huge meat eater, by the way. I mean, I should tell you, it wasn't just like, oh, I was sort of a vegetarian. And No, I mean, I was like, get the grill on. And if that thing is bleeding on my plate, <laughs> I'm eating it, right? I grew up on, you know, in the country and in Quebec and, and we had our own little fun farm, mind you, but I've slaughtered stuff myself. I've killed chickens and put, you know, I've done that stuff. So that was a big step for me. But once I eliminated meat and saturated fats, it just seemed my body instantly responded. Mm-hmm. Um, you attribute anything to a, a type blood. They say that that's the newest kind of blood and it does well on a vegetarian or a vegan diet. Probably uh, O types are a little bit more meat eaters. They say, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but 
that seems to make sense to me somehow. Um, but uh, the heavy lifting took a while to become heavy. I had lifted weights many years, but never to this degree. So, and it, I can't say that I recover from that easily. It's not some, I wake up the next day feeling it, but um, somehow as I've built muscle, which is an extremely hard thing to do, I've discovered and lost fat, which is easier to do. I have reinvented the composition of my body. So I, everything seems to be working better. My digestion mm -hmm. is on point. My breathing is so much better. My allergies were virtually non-existent. <laughs> Having broken into hives <laughs> this week, I don't know what happened, but I don't think it's an allergic reaction so much as um, I used a sunscreen. That may have been it, but anyway, we'll find out. But this is an anomaly. Otherwise, I've not had any issues at all. So combination for sure. Yeah. The more it's interesting as I'm listening and I'm reflecting back over our entire conversation, it really is, you know, it is the story and I think continues to be the story of inhabiting your body, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's, um, you know what, a lot of your people listening to this who have had early childhood sexual abuse will relate to this. When I say that I did not have a feeling of owning my body until my mid twenties. I did not feel I had a right to speak up for it or I was numb in it many years. And yeah, this is now, you know, a quarter of a century later, I'm sitting in it from a very different position. I am very happy. I have every cell of it <laughs> and I feel them all. Yeah. Well, and you know what? It's amazing because if you're able to look at the video, you're glowing right now as you're saying that. Absolutely. Um, but it also, to me, what it does is it proves our earlier point. We were saying when we were, or it answers our earlier question. We we're saying, what's the point? This yeah. is the point, right? The yeah. point is to own it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and bring it forward. So sharing the story, writing the book, um, experimenting and, and playing in the body and, and reconnecting to ultimately, you know, a, a huge part of your, your true self. This is, this is what an empowered, you know, life looks like or an empowering journey looks like. Yeah. You know, that great expression, right? We are we are spiritual beings having a, having a human experience. Yes, very much. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's probably my mantra for this this go around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and enjoying the physical. Well, yeah. well, Sonia, it's been a pleasure. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> it's been fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Um, for the listeners. Um, the, the book, I'm Not Naked Anymore, Memoirs of a Contemporary Jezebel. I'll leave uh, links in the show notes, as well as a link back to Sonia's website. And Sonia, as much as this is going to be out there for a very long time, um, what have you got going on if people want to go and, uh, and watch any of the shows that you've been in or what's coming up on the horizon that we can look forward to that you're able to share? 
Well, I am speaking this September at a wonderful uh, retreat uh, put on by an incredible woman, Lorianne McLeod. Uh, it will be in uh, or in and around Milton, Ontario. Um, and it's typical of, of the kind of talks that I love to give. I'll be talking about forgiveness and uh, of myself and of other people and situations in my life, as well as uh, the playfulness of the body for sure will come into it because it's a fitness retreat and uh, we've got to have fun with this, right? Um, but also, you know, any of my acting is on my IMDb page. I'm like any other actor, you can find me there. Um, and as for the book, I'm going to be coming out with a second edition of it because uh, there's an add-on to it. A lot of people have asked me, and I gave it the you know the cat's out of the bag for this interview. What happened to my mother? Because I end with her going into surgery. Oh. So, but the ensuing relationship I have with my mother now post death. Uh, is a different one and it's a much better one. And I'm able to be much more objective about our relationship, hers and mine. So I think that's going to be key uh, in my talks coming up and my conversations with people, because that's everything to us is, you know, that's what we came from. That's the body I came from. And, uh, and again, you know, we're talking, living our journey fully and completely in this body. She gave me this body. Um, and I, and I'm a lot like her, <laughs> which is uh, a fantastic thing. I'm able to love her so much deeply so much more deeply now than I was able to before. Uh, so that's a big part of what's coming up for me. And as my daughter leaves, you know, and I'm sure I'll be hearing about all the mistakes I made with her. So, <laughs> and then again, I'll be accountable for those and how to make those better and how to keep enriching it and, and deepening my connection with her because I don't want to have the same story of having an estranged daughter. I want to have something different. So I'm going to have to create that. And sometimes it's going to have to be looking at my stuff a lot more closely, but I'm in, I'm game. So, and as for acting, I mean, that continues. I'll be continuing to act. Um, I do believe I'm also singing at a show called um, the Patsy Klein show. It's happening at the Lula lounge on September 5th of this year, 2019 happens every year um, where the, some of the best collections of incredible musicians in Canada get together under one night uh, under one place and do Patsy Klein tunes only. It is probably one of the best shows Toronto puts on all year. Oh, so, that's exciting. Thing at that, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on, sharing your story. And uh, and there's a couple of dates I'll be marking on my calendar. So <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. So much. my pleasure. Okay. Thank you for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I know you have a lot of choice where you receive your inspiration and information. If today's episode resonated with you, I'd be grateful if you would take a few extra seconds for three quick things. First, if there's an idea or story that you know would make a difference in someone else's life, follow the link in the show notes back to our website where you can easily share it with them. Second, subscribe so that you can be part of the ongoing conversation on whatever app or website you're listening on. Big conversations become the catalyst for meaningful change. If you happen to be listening on iTunes, please take a few moments to leave a rating and a review. The last thing I'll leave you with is that we are building a community of conscious leaders to engage in big conversations and support the Free Your New Guru podcast. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru 
or support.freeyourinnerguru.com. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker, signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.